0: This is kevin and this is josh
1: and on this episode of the filmmaker's guide to the industry we talk to james duke otherwise known as boss man he is um, one of my mentors in the industry and he is uh, just a just a great individual just as a human being and then you bring in the filmmaker aspect of things and he just he is an open book he will answer any and all questions without hesitating and
0: i'm really excited about his conversation that we had with him about pitching today
1: yeah it's it's an element that you just don't hear about just being able to pitch it's not enough you don't hear it enough
0: okay well hi Jim thanks for coming on the podcast today and I hear you have a great story about Kevin losing an SD card
1: Well,
0: oh. uh, no,
2: I, uh, I don't think it was him I don't think
1: it was him so. uh, I I did not physically lose it, but I was part of the problem. I will, the problem. <laughs> I will openly admit that I was part of the problem, but I did not. It was not a hundred percent. a Link in the chain, man. I, I, I was a, I, I was the second closest link in the chain. <laughs> so, so for, well, we can, we can go into that story because that's actually good for people to realize that, you know, people make mistakes. Um, that's right. so, so, James Duke, otherwise known as Jimmy Duke, or as I call him Boss Man, um, (laughs) um, is, in my opinion, one of one of my mentors in the industry. Um, I worked for you for one year; felt like a lot longer, um, but it was one in a good way. In a good good way, way, yeah. I mean, we did a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot in that one year. So um, it was for a production company based in Bradenton, Florida, called Updog Studios, um, and I came on as. I don't even remember, what you guys just hired me on to be like the swiss army knife um, when i left yeah, IMG, as a, as
2: a shooter I, we hired you as a shooter and then you also you did everything else yeah
1: yeah i was in charge of gear and making sure yep. i got um inventoried properly and then kind of after three months i want to say I, three or four months I, i've always kind of just said three to four months after i started there um, the director of photography that was that i was under um he left, um, and I essentially got promoted internally to be the DP, um, which yeah. I am so happy that played out that way because although in those three months I had already learned a lot, um, just being, you know, being like a first AC on, on a lot of the jobs and being responsible for, um, um, for doing like, um, initial edits, you know, first passes, a role edits kind of thing. Uh, once I kind of took over that DP role, it was... Uh, the the light bulb definitely went off and and kind of helped me in my career tremendously so um i don't know somewhere along the line i just started calling you boss man i remember i just kind of would turn the corner (laughs) because as the dp i I essentially turned into your right-hand man and we met i mean every single day we talked about something i mean even on on non-production days uh, you'd walk you'd walk into my office i'd turn the corner into yours um and obviously that's, that's the relationship you want to have with, um, it, the role that you were there, producer director, but, you know, director to DP, that's the kind of role. So, um, so yeah, that's a little backstory as to, you know, how we know each other. Um, but you know, in terms of your career, um, you know, what are you doing right now and how, you know, how you, you're back out in LA, um, you're not in Florida anymore, but, you know, can you give us a little backstory as to who you are?
2: Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on your Uh, program, guys. Um, uh, Yeah, so I, you and I met um, when I was doing a stint in Florida uh, for about 18 months. I was there. I actually thought I was going to be there longer. The plan was to be there for about three to five years and it just didn't work out. Um, But I've been working in the business. Um, I came to Los Angeles and I'm originally from Tennessee and I came to Los Angeles in 1998. So I've been working in the business to some degree or another, since 1998, um, my first my first paid gig was, um, um, a, um, was a was a, uh, a long term temp at a uh, company that would um, I, I don't I, I guarantee they don't do this anymore, but they they would take late night TV shows like, uh, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno, and they would take an excerpt from them and they would edit them down to uh, a a sound bite or two. And they would basically um, package them and sell them to morning radio shows around the country. And so if you, uh, you know, if you were driving in your car listening to that six a.m. morning radio show, you probably weren't awake at night to hear David Letterman's top ten. And so they did that. Um, so that was my first, that was my first paid gig. Um, I was like a long term temp in there, and then I started. I uh, became, you know, a set PA, an office PA. You know, I worked on uh, lots of different um, films and um, television commercials and. Uh, I did one or two music videos, not a lot, um, but it was mostly um, that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if you guys remember, um, but do you remember the old TV show? So I did two shows for Nickelodeon. You guys remember, I think they have it on now, but you guys remember the original All That?
0: Yep. Or oh, All yeah. That? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I was a I was a PA on All That. I was a production PA. Um and so I got to meet all the, um, I think, I think they had the Ice Cube was a musical guest. We met him and, um, I think the Spice Girls might've even been on there once. I and mean, it was like crazy because they...
0: Almost all the artists it. of the day ran through that show at some point. I think Chris Cross yeah, was on yeah. and, yeah. That's it. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, and so, um... So part of my job, if, they, if there's old clips, part of my job on the day they would film the musical act, <laughs> Kevin, you'll get a kick out of this, um, because because I uh, was such a big guy, part of my job was to stand um, uh, in front of the stage so that the 12-year-old kid didn't rush. The stage. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I cannot see you being very good at that role because you you are like the definition of a gentle giant so I could see a a 12 year old rushing the stage and you being like hey so like you're trying to like reason with them and they're trying to like jump over you're just like no no please just keep two feet on the ground so he wasn't
0: going to power bomb a kid no 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 if
2: anything I would have thought it was pretty funny if they got up there but anyway um uh, anyway, I just thought I always thought that was. Every time they had me do that, I was like, "Really, guys? Really? These nine-year-olds are going to rush the stage?" All right. Anyway, um, so I did that, and there was a there was another show on Nickelodeon called. Um, well, they had Keenan and Kel, so I worked on Kenan and Kel too, and then um, I did. Um, what was that, show? Mike? Uh, how about this one? This will this will bring you back some of your mm-hmm. listeners, things. My Cousin Skeeter. You guys remember that yes. show? I remember I, that yes. I remember that one. Yes, I do. My <laughs> well, Ke- was Bill Bellamy. Bill Bellamy was the voice of this puppet or something. So anyway, um, so I worked on those shows. Uh, uh, those were my early PA jobs. And then um, the production company I was working for that produced those shows, they were gearing up for their second big film. They had made a film, a Nickelodeon film, and they – um, it was Good Burger, which is like, you and XL. tell, good yeah. movie, Good Burger. Uh, and they were gearing up for their second film, which was, which was this little film, a little, uh, Texas football film called Varsity Blues. Wow! And, um, so I was in the, um, I was in the room when they were casting and auditioning for that. And here comes James Vanderbeek, and here comes all these guys. And, um, uh, I actually became buddies with, um, uh, with the big guy, um, I forget his name. Um, he was uh, he was a he was a pretty sweet guy. Um, I think he passed away not too long ago. But um, um, so did that for um, gosh almost for about a year. Um, I did jobs like that for about a year, year and a half, um, and then um, um, I, I kind of always had my hand in some sort of production. I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet, though. I didn't know if it was I was supposed to produce or act or direct or write. Or, and so um, I went to a writing program. And, um, and it was actually uh, through that that I realized I'm not really a writer and I really am more of a producer. And so once I learned that, I kind of shifted And just started doing the only thing I knew to do, which was just trying to generate projects. And so I would just come alongside friends and say, what do you got going on? Let me help you. And then that's kind of really developed into my, just my entire philosophy of, of, um, not just business, but of life, which is, I think a producer's job is to come alongside and just, um, help, help people execute and get things done. And, um, so much of the job of the producer is identifying talent and building great teams and, um, you know, building, help, helping build that ship for that director so that he can, uh, so he can sail it to the best of his ability or her, sorry, I should say he or she, um, and so I started developing that kind of early on, just doing small projects. I, I, uh, I actually started doing this a lot at my church. Believe it or not, here in Los Angeles, we started doing films at my church. I had like a little film team. I created a film team. Uh, I had a, here in LA, there's just a lot of filmmakers, and so we were just we were just producing stuff on a regular basis. We were at one point we were producing a, a short film a week, wow. and um, now I'm not saying they are all good, but but we but but that's kind of one of those other lessons I learned early on, which is. Batting average, and I think a lot of filmmakers don't uh, don't quite understand the concept of batting average, which is you've got you know in order to improve as a filmmaker, you, you just you need more chances at bat, and you're going you're gonna miss, and that's okay. You're you're gonna strike out. You're gonna you're gonna hit that you're gonna hit that single out to um to the shortstop, and you're gonna not get on base, and you know that that that's gonna happen. And, um, but the, can you, can you, can you bat over 300, you know, can you, uh, can you get on base enough, right? And, uh, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of singles and some doubles and a few triples and every once in a while, you're going to hit a home run. I don't know how I shifted into a baseball analogy, but yeah, yeah. you're talking um, to two
1: baseball guys over here. Yeah, so it we're, works. we really are okay with this. We're, we're over here like, Oh yeah, you know, baseball, baseball, we get we got this. We're following. So,
2: so so anyway so that um that's kind of how i started and then, and then um make a long story even longer i i, I uh, made my first feature film um in 2007 um it um was really hard and which is why to this day when i tell people um when i find out that someone's made a feature film and even if it's not very good i I, I tell them, congratulations. I always say, congratulations, because I know how hard it is to make a feature film. So um, I partnered with a, a, a very close friend of mine, um, one of my best friends, and he was the writer-director, and I was the producer on it. And uh, we brought in a couple other people um, to help me produce it. We made that film for about $1.2 million. We raised about $1.2 million to make that film. It was called The Least of These, and it starred... Um, it started some really great character actors. Um, the star was Isaiah Washington, who was one of the stars at the time of the, of the TV show Grey's Anatomy. So if you have any listeners who, who apparently that show is still on television. Can you believe that? Yeah. Um But he was the African-American guy that got fired from Grey's Anatomy for saying something. He shouldn't have said And the, the, the big trivia question that we... Um, uh, can always be a part of uh, from now until the end of the world is uh, the day he was fired. The day Shonda Rhimes, the the showrunner, called him on the phone and fired him. He was on our film set shooting our film. Oh and man, so
0: what was that like? The,
2: oh, it was. <laughs> I was with him. He literally. I we you know we we had heard there was some rumbling and some grumbling. He had told us the day before that there was some. Some scuttlebutt about, and um, we had just started filming. We were only a couple of days into production. We, weren't, we weren't, i think we were about a week into production, if even that. And um, we were shooting in Los Angeles, so that was the other thing, by the way, is we were shooting, we were shooting in LA, non-union. And so, when you're shooting in LA, non-union, the last thing you want is attention, right? Right. So, <laughs> we're trying to keep. Everything on the down low, because everyone that's working for us are almost all of them are, are are union people, but um they're working for us, and so they're you know they the kind of the way the rule is is if, if the union rep shows up they all of our you know they basically just have to
0: yeah they have set to walk. down and
2: walk away yeah. they have to walk away, and so you know you're just trying to keep everything on the down low and and so we're just we're this small production company, you know. This is we're first time filmmakers making a feature film, and and um just trying to plow through and get stuff done. And and, and all of a sudden, he gets this phone call, and he hangs up the phone and he looks at me and he says, "So well, I just got fired." And I looked at him and I said, "What? What did you just say?" And he said, "That was Shonda. I just got fired." I, I was like, "What?" He goes, "It's okay. It's okay though. It's okay though." And he kind of walked, uh, walked into his trailer and he came out about to his credit, to his credit, he came out of his trailer about 20 minutes later. And he was a complete professional. He was like, he was full of energy. He wasn't down. He was, I mean, he was a true professional. You would have not known that he was fired from one of the biggest shows in television. It was, uh, it was amazing. Um, the problem was the next day, the paparazzi had gotten word. All the media, all the tabloids had sent. So the next day, we were surrounded by hundreds of paparazzi at our location. Jeez. We got phone calls from uh, Entertainment Weekly. We got phone calls from um, uh, TV Guide and um, uh, uh, Entertainment Tonight. They all I'm quoted in like Entertainment Weekly and and pe- all these pe- People magazine and all these things. Like it, it just became the exact opposite of what we wanted. We were very very fortunate to not have uh, had people because SAG and all these guys could have just I mean SAG we were probably SAG but uh, I asked those guys have come and they could have given us a real hard time but they didn't. Um, so made that film and then um, um, we that one, that film did not get distribution. Um, I mean, it did not get theatrical, I should say. It didn't get theatrical, but um, we premiered. it, it premiered on uh, the STARS network. It premiered on STARS. And uh, and then we did uh, uh, distribution um, DVD sales. And then um, when Kendra and I met, I was helping with another feature film called Ragamuffin, which was based on the life of uh, Rich Mullins, uh, who was like a Christian um, singer-songwriter um, that had like a huge impact on people, and he died very early. Um and so um I actually our company had actually the guy that I worked for um that had started Updog Studios, he purchased the rights to this, or not the rights, but he purchased the film. And um and then so then I was hired to help um try to get it out to mark, to the marketplace. Um and then the the writer director of that film was a friend of mine, David Leo Schultz. And then he a couple of years after that, he made another film that I also helped him with, with uh, marketing and distribution. So um, that catches you up a little bit in terms of those things. And, and, and now, currently, uh, I have a producing partner and we have a lot of uh, television projects kind of on our slate. I also run a program called Act One, which trains uh, Christians to go into Hollywood as professional uh, screenwriters and producers. And that really kind of fits my two passions. My two passions are um, seeing people um, uh, kind of grow to their potential and develop them and mentor them um, and make great entertainment. So,
0: so when the when you when all the pops, paparazzi showed up, what did you guys have to deal or you know try and keep them from set? What was the what was that scenario like?
2: Yeah, well, I was the producer, so that was my job. So I was really the one. Um, so they, you know, they have to stay on the other side of the street. So mm-hmm. they're all on the other side of the street. But that first day, that, that very next day after, it was like a hundred. It was, it was a lot. It was, it was a crazy scene. I'd never experienced a night like, like that before. It was literally that, that what you would see now. Like when you see things like on TMZ and stuff. Yeah,
0: um, you hear a lot of horror so, stories about how bad they are. And so very yeah, curious as was- to what it was like
2: it wasn't bad like they they weren't doing anything crazy um they just every time you know the good thing for us was we were actually filming in a house and so we were in a they were in a neighborhood and so they were on so if you just envision like a house on a corner lot and so they were just on the other side um and and the good thing for us was Isaiah would go literally the, the tra- his trailer I think was parked in the driveway or something so he literally would just step out and step right into the house Nice. There wasn't really a lot of an opportunity for them to kind of go after him, uh, and they and they're not, they weren't allowed to you know be at the trailer and stuff because we have you know security there and that's private property, right. and so um, so it wasn't like a thing where they were shouting while we were filming and stuff like that. They were they, they know not to do that kind of stuff, right. but it was overwhelming because that's a new that's a complete new thing, and then they kind of stayed with us but they, the numbers dwindled as the story dwindled, the numbers right. dwindled, and um,
0: yeah, awesome
1: well um i, I kind of want to dive into what you're currently doing you you the conversation that we had offline a few weeks ago you were telling me with your producing partner you have a lot of projects um in pre-production some are slowly moving forward some are just kind of on hold but in the future they can move forward um how, how is that process i mean pitching all these shows and and episodic and concepts how, how does how does you know just kind of talk through like how does how does this all kind of play out for you
2: yeah um so whenever you're um so so pitching a pitching a television show is like pitching anything else right it's just you you have to um you have to have relationships to get into the room so typically the way it works is, um, as a writer producer, you're going to have reps and they try not to take, uh, unsolicited pitches. Uh, it protects them legally. Uh, I'm talking about studios and production companies. So the, the primary way you get into a room to pitch something is your reps, um, agents, managers, um, they're, they're, they have relationships with these development executives. These development executives have relationships with them, and they're letting them know. They're letting them know, hey, NBC is looking for this type of show. Uh, Hulu is looking for this type of show, um, and then just looking at branding and content. People, other, you know, you know that that feels more like a CBS show. That feels more like a Netflix show. You know that kind mean? of thing, and so. Um, what they'll do is then they'll just put their clients up for meetings. They're just like, uh, you know, they'll, the agent and manager will, will, will say, Hey, do you have anything that fits X? Because we know that, you know, you know, such and such network or streaming services looking for, you know, something that fits in this mold. And so if you do, and the agent and manager reads it and thinks, okay, this is good. Let's, let's, let's get you a meeting. That's the primary kind of typical way in which, um, things get set up. Now, as you guys are probably aware, the industry has gone through this major shift in the past year or so, um, with the WGA, um, basically pulling out of agencies because of all the problems they had with, um, agents double repping. And so, um, a lot of this has changed. A lot of writers no longer have agents. They they primarily work through managers now um, almost exclusively. Um, some even just work through entertainment lawyers, uh, and some just rep themselves. Um, there are some agencies who have made the changes that the WGA requested. And there, you know, um, there's a bunch of stuff, you know, your, your listeners can read about that, learn more about that stuff. Um, the, the chairman of my board, by the way, the of the program that I want to run act one program. Um, he's the, um, assistant executive director of the WGA West. And so Writers Guild of America, and he, um, he's a part of a lot of these negotiations. And, um, so he it was very interested talking to him about how kind of all this stuff is going down, but anyway, so a lot of these agencies have made some changes. So, so there are some, um, uh, people known writers now who are being rep more and more by uh, agents again, by sp- specific agencies Um, anyway, so that's the primary way. And so that's, that's the frustrating thing for uh, a lot of people is I can't get in and pitch my show because how do I get access to these people who hold the keys to the kingdom? Um, because I can't just cold call them and say, Hey, you know, my name is, you know, John Smith and I have, I think I have the best, you know, I have a great idea for a TV show on on Netflix. You know, who do I talk to? You know, they're not going to return your phone call. They're not going to return your email. Um, However, um, there are like exceptions, right? Like you can, you know, part of the hustle of being a filmmaker out here and being a storyteller a writer, producer, whatever, is you, you've got, you've got to go to parties. You've got to go, um, to wherever you can get togethers and you've got to build relationships with people. Um, because there's kind of a, um, there's a mentality sometimes that I think people misunderstand the business. They, they think, some people think that there are these, you know, these guard dogs of the, of the business and they're, they're, their job is to keep people out. So they're not interested in all your ideas. So I can't get in because these people won't let me in. But the truth is, it's actually the other way around. They they're always look, Hollywood is always looking for the next great script. So they're always looking for the next new person. Matter of fact, so many of these development guys, they want to be known as the person who found the next Aaron Sorkin or the next Shonda Rhimes or the next Ryan Murphy or, or the next Steven Spielberg. Year, right? Like they, they want to be known as the person that broke that person who found them. So you have producers and production companies and, and development executives. They, they want to, to meet fresh new blood, right? But the issue always comes with um, you you go with the safer bet, right? And the safer bet is all about who has executed before. Because if someone wants to actually go down a road with you, go down a path with you with some money, with some financing, they they want to mitigate that risk. And so if you're a first timer who's done nothing, you are you are a, uh, you're considered a more significant risk for them, even though your script is great you are considered a greater risk than them than someone who brings to them like a, a good script, but maybe not a great script, but they are a proven commodity because they've made one or two things that that they brought in on time, on budget, and um, and, um, and w- it was maybe successful in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. So um, part of that frustration for a lot of people in pitching stuff is Man, I, I, want, I, I get so frustrated because I can't get in there. And, you know, They don't want to hear me. They don't want to hear me. Well, truth is, is, it's not that they don't want to hear you. It's that even if they heard you, what are we going to do with you? Because you're not a proven commodity. So it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22. And that's one of the things why I always tell people is don't sit around and wait. Just go create. We are at a different time in the business. The business has gone through just cataclysmic. I'm not cataclysmically but just such sweeping changes over the past couple of years because of technology and streaming services and all the kind of stuff that these things are so different now that um, nothing is stopping you from being a content creator nothing nothing is stopping you from being a content. so even while you're waiting to get your big break even while you're waiting to get that big meeting you should be out creating content because what you want to do is you want to create something that gets their attention so that when you do finally get a chance to meet with them, you have something that actually is worth some sort of value that they go, wow, looks like this person can do something. Looks like they can pull something off on time, under budget, that other people want to watch other than their grandmother. So that's so that's just one thing to kind of keep in mind. Don't be discouraged if you can't get access to those people. Um, but uh, uh, So my producing partner um, and I, um, we're we're good friends. He's a great guy. Um, We met this writer who um, uh, had this project. This was several years ago. And I met him first. I read it. was like, this is a really interesting project. And um, um, brought my producing partner into it. He, he agreed. And we just started the process of just, okay, what do we do with this? So we took about a year um, to figure out how to pitch the show. And then we slowly started kind of taking it out. And we had, um, we had good feedback on some of our initial pitches. Um, but in the end, no one was actually buying the show. So we've recently kind of taken, we we pitched it Netflix and we pitched it um, Fox and we pitched it. um, um, Where's the other place we pitched? Oh, NBC. Um, And, and we, and so what we did is we took it back and we kind of retold it. And we're about to start taking it back out again. And, um, um, and the thought with that was, is we got really good feedback. That's the other thing is that, a lot of these guys, they advocate for you in the room. Like, they're, they, like I told you, they, they're really looking for good stuff. So um, I think before I started going in these rooms and pitching, I kind of had in the back of my mind, you know, the old cigar chomping guy who's just staring you down, giving you like, uh, you know, like, I, uh, you know, I can't wait to hate this story, you know? <laughs> and it's actually, it's actually the exact opposite. It's actually the exact opposite. They are, my experience, I should say, you know, I, I can only speak to my experience. So my experience is the executives that I pitch to, they're friendly. They're eager to listen to a great story. They get excited when they hear stuff that interests them. They give you immediate feedback that's very constructive and helpful and positive. Um, and, um, and so, you know, you should consider that if, you're, if you ever get a chance to do it. Um, We have a couple of other non-scripted shows that we've actually had more success with pitching and it looks like one, looks like, you know, knock on the wood table here. Um, uh, Something might happen with one of them possibly. So, um, but the biggest thing with taking things around in the development process is patience. What you're looking for, is an advocate in the room. That's what we're talking about. You're looking for an advocate in the room. And so that's all you need. You just need one person on on that other side of the table to go, I get it. I get it. I like it. I, I want to try to push forward with this. And that's what you're aiming for. You're trying to get the, uh, someone at the other side of the table just to, to start advocating for you and to see a project. And so be open you know, something I tell young filmmakers is so be open to the constructive criticism that they give you. Don't think that your thing is the greatest thing to the point that it, you can't take some sort of constructive criticism. Uh, one of my producer friends was working with a team uh, with some writers and brought them into a meeting on, um, on a project, she got them into a, a big pitch meeting in a big studio. And, um, during the pitch, one of the executives said to him, hey, did you ever think about, um, you know, if that if that character that you just mentioned right there, what do you think about if that character was a female? And here's why. Um, we had this actress, and it was like a, you know, a pretty well-known actress. We have an actress that if you were willing to maybe switch that and make that a female character, um, we think she might be interested. That could be a really interesting way to package that deal. And um, my parishion friend said he was – he was completely embarrassed and angry and frustrated because these writers looked at the executives and said, no, no, we're not going to do that. Jeez. <laughs> and, and afterwards he just ripped them apart. He said, you just, you just lost the deal guys. You just lost the deal. You know, like they're, they're tracking with you and all they're saying is consider changing this one for a really good reason, for a really good reason. And you, Instead of saying we'll consider it, see that was the thing, right? In the end, maybe they don't change it into a woman, right? right? In the end, maybe they don't change it into a woman. But the point is, is in the room, take the advice, take the note, right? And then go back, consider it, think about it, how it works, how it doesn't work, um, and and but stay open, right? But they immediately were like, nope, we know better than you. This is what we. This is the only thing we're going to do. And that that project is dead in the water. It's never it's never going to get made. And uh, so that's one of the things that too that uh, you got filmmakers have got to understand that this is a collaborative art form. Your your poop stinks too, and you've got to realize that you don't always have um, the best idea. Uh, You've got to be open the possibility that somewhere else has a better idea than you because in the end that's what you should be searching for you should be searching for the best idea not the best idea you have
0: right it's just kind of like you know trying to be right trying wanting yourself to be right instead of being right so yeah um for the for those pitches like can you for someone that maybe has never been in a pitch room and maybe they've got a, a pitch coming up, they've done really good with a, a little indie and they are going to have a pitch soon. And, you know, they've picked up a sales agent or an agent or someone that's going to get them their first pitch and they're going to go into this. What advice do you have for them? And could you like lay out how that goes? Like, okay, so we walk in the room, we shake hands, we stand up, we do this. Like we've put all this together, we've put together and we're going to, have some talent to come in and act out a scene. Can you like lay out how that pitch actually goes or can go and what that process is like?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, and, and, you know, um, you know, you, there's no hard and fast rule in terms of how you do it, mm-hmm. but, gen- but but generally speaking, um, things that are helpful, things enjoy. I have a lot of friends that are, uh, development people. And I asked them this, we, we actually sat down for, like a two and a half hour meeting with uh, one of the top development executives at one of the big uh, television um, networks, and he sat with us. We thought we thought it was going to be a half hour meeting. He sat with us for two and a half hours and gave us a download on this is what development people look for. This is how we process information. You know, it was really it was amazing. Um, so I can kind of give you a little bit of that, but obviously, you know, things. Things are different and, and can um, be determined on a case-by-case
0: basis. But, sure.
2: you know, what you want to do is you expect um, – there's so sort of different types of meetings, right? So you have a um, – let's say you've – you know, let's let's just stick to uh, film and television, either one of those. Um, you could have, you know, a script drop-off meeting. So a script drop-off meeting, you're going to go in, you're going to pitch something, and that pitch is probably going to be about 15 minutes long. They're going to probably leave room for about you know ten to fifteen minutes of questions from them, and then you're going to leave the script, literally just leave the script for them to read if you had it. And so that pitch, you don't want to give you don't want to give everything away because you're leaving it for them to read. So instead, you're just kind of wetting their appetite. You're you're you're, you're crafting your pitch in such a way that they go, "Wow, that sounds like something I want to read." Do you have it written? Can you leave it here so that I can read it? Right. So that's 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 what you're looking for with that kind of meeting. And that meeting can that can be about a you know 20 to 30 minute meeting. Um typically a the other way when you don't necessarily have something written yet, um, that's that's more of a typical pitch meeting. A typical pitch meeting would last maybe anywhere from like 30 to 45 minutes, maybe anywhere up to an hour. They, what he said was the development executives tend to block out an hour. Um, so they'll put an hour in their schedule, um, most of them. Um, and so you go in and you should expect to pitch your idea for about 20 minutes, right? You have about about 20 minutes. You'll, you would walk in the room. Um, uh, generally speaking, there's probably going to be at least two people in the room. Uh, you're going to be Either in their office, uh, just sitting around, and they might have a cof- they might have a, a couch or uh, some chairs in there, and they're just like sitting in their desk chairs, they've spun around. Um, or if they're a bigger executive, they're sitting in a bigger room. Um, sometimes, if they don't want to meet in their office, they'll put you in the conference room. You know, um, Netflix. We were in the conference room. Um, uh, they they will. Um, uh they will tend to have the the primary development executive and then maybe someone else. They've asked someone from another department or another executive um to be in there with you. Um and so you're generally speaking to at least two. When we were at Fox we there were three people in the room. And um and so um you'll just do a brief introduction, you know, I would say um practice your pitches before you go in. And so you know, know exactly how you plan to execute what you're going to do in the room. So um, you can even time yourself. Don't, don't be rigid and and um, <clears throat> to the point that you sound like a robot because you've memorized everything to the point that you're not leaving room for, for uh, things to um, change for the dynamics to shift in the room. But um, you, you just think about, okay, here's how I kind of want to structure things. So when you first walk in, you're probably going to spend about five minutes, 10 minutes at the most if they're like friendly executives and you're kind of an outgoing person yourself um to just do brief introductions um you're gonna you know man the weather outside today it's that kind of stuff just cordial casual things just to get a bike settled down they might offer you they almost always have their assistants offering you something to drink it's usually water bottles um or maybe tea or coffee um and um and then you would just jump right into it and they'll either say okay well um uh, you want to just jump right in or you can say to them um okay how about i just uh, how about i just jump in how about i just start um you can you can ask if you want to stand um they won't have any problem with you standing if you feel like you're better at speaking when you stand um but if you feel more comfortable sitting as long as you feel like you're dynamic when you speak, um, try to not be boring. That's the number one thing. You're supposed to be a storyteller and you got to be able to tell a story. And so be really bad idea for you to not be good at telling a story that you're trying to get someone to spend a lot of money on. <laughs> so, um, which is the other reason why I would really suggest you, you know, practice. Um, so then you can expect to, after that first five or 10 minutes, expect to then picture your story for about uh, 15 to 20. So you spent that first half hour um, introducing yourself and pitching your story. Um, then you want to leave like fifteen minutes um, for questions. and the more questions you get, the better. The fewer questions you get. Um, that should tell you that probably um, they're not they're not interested or you didn't do a good enough job pitching that um uh you spurred more curiosity in them. That's not always the case, right? But please hear me. I don't want to people think it's the hard and fast rule. So if you don't get, you know, more than two questions, you get all depressed. It but but it, it is um it is a kind of a general rule of thumb, right? If you're talking to someone or they don't ask you a lot of questions, it's like, right, well I guess I'm not that interesting. <laughs> you know right. so, um so you want to make sure you leave time for that. So you can't don't just talk, talk, talk. Okay. Also, it's very common for them to interrupt you while you're talking. They, they might interrupt you with a thought, with a suggestion, with a question. That's perfectly fine. If you've memorized it, be prepared for that, right? Don't let that completely throw you off your game. Um, make sure that you have thought through everything before they ask you, okay? Um, make sure you've really thought through. And then the other thing is, is just um, be yourself. Don't be weird, right? Like, part of what they're doing is they're like looking to see not just if you have a great story, but who are you as a person. Like, would you be fun to work with? Because they're going to work with you, so you got to spend some time with each other. Why in the world would they want to spend time with a weirdo? You know know what I'm saying? So, so make sure that you are, um, you know, not acting weird and odd and and, and into such a way that it would be a detriment to it. You know. And, um, and then usually what would happen is they would, um, like there is a rare occasion where they buy the pitch right in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you leave and go away. Um, and, um, you're going to get an email or a phone call uh, when they're interested. What, what happens is on a pitch for like a narrative project, they're going to hire you to then write it, right? That's the advantage you get on that, right? So you, you, you get a meeting, you pitch this great TV concept to them, and they're like, I love it. We're going to hire you, so we're going to pay you, we're going to buy the pitch from you. And what that means is, purchasing that pitch means they're going to give you money to then write out what you just pitched to them in the room. So it could be a full script, it could be an outline, it could be a treatment, but you but they're gonna give you a little money for it because what they're doing is they're optioning that concept so that you can't take it somewhere else. Hmm. And so um, because they like it that much. Now, they you might not be the one that actually gets to write it as a script, um, especially if you're a first timer. you might they might just option the idea from you and get an outline or treatment from you, and they like that but they realize. Eh, He's not going to be able to finish it. She's not going to be able to do it. So um, they're going to give it to somebody with more experience, someone they've worked with in the past. That happens all the time. That's a normal, that's a normal part of business. Um, that's all a part of negotiating once you get to that part. Um, but um, they would, if you already have something written, then, um, then that would kind of be somewhere to a, uh, a, a leave-behind. But the problem with that is is that the reason why the leave-behind meeting is different than the pitch meeting is that, um you hopefully you didn't give away the whole store with the pitch. So that when they read it, it's, it's, it's basically boring, you know? Um That was one of the problems we had with one of our pitches for our narrative was we learned this the hard way. We gave away the store on the pitch. And so that then when they read the script, they were like, Oh, we thought it was going to be, well, God dang it. So, um, So anyway, so then once you do that, um, you, um, you just wait to hear back from them. So we had, we had, um, we went in, um, pitched, uh, for one of our, one of our non-scripted projects, um, a docu-series. We went in and pitched to a big time producer in that, in that, um, space. He's got shows on multiple, um, show, multiple networks and platforms. And, um, we um, we pitched it and um, they seemed interested in the room. They asked lots of questions. Felt like it was very productive, but um, we weren't sure if we had really nailed it. And because uh, we had pitched two shows, so we weren't really sure. Um, and then we had a, the next day we had another pitch where we were pitching the same two shows to a different producer. And we walked out of that one feeling really good. And the, the ended up getting a phone call from the first producer wanting to buy one of our films, I mean one, of our, one of our shows. Um, and the one that we felt good about um, passed on both of them. <laughs> so you never really know. Um, I mean, you can try to gauge you know, what you think, how, what they're thinking in the room but there's a lot of things that they're considering. They might already have a show they're developing that's very similar to yours. So it's not that your show is a bad show. It's just that they've already invested money in one that's just like it. they very right. similar. Right. And so, you know, you want to make sure you do your due diligence as best you can. I mean, you don't always know what shows are being developed. That's hard to know a lot of that stuff. But if, if you're reading the trades, and you know that some big-time showrunner, producer, writer is going in and pitching a show about You know, the president of the United States, you probably shouldn't be pitching a show with the president of the United States to that network around that same time. Um, so,
0: um, so yeah. I don't know if that's helpful or not. No, that was that was perfect.
1: And then, in, and in a Jimmy fashion—it's a, a perfectly executed story, start to finish. So, um, <laughs> I, I remember all this because every time we had meetings, it was like, "Okay, we're going to get every ounce of detail in this one thirty-minute meeting from Jimmy." <laughs> <laughs> uh, never, never that, really walked away having, line. never really walked away having questions. You're like, okay, well, and as long as you just took, you know, I, I jotted down a handful of notes, you're like, okay, this is what I need to do by the deadline that was given to me. <laughs> so, um, no, thank you for, for all that information. Um, you know, you, you went back out to LA at this point f- four years ago. Um, how long, right? Four or five? Geez, I don't know. Yeah,
2: it's been, it's been part, yeah.
1: Oh my God. Um, how long did it take you to kind of get your feet back in to to the LA world? I mean, you were out here for 18 months in Florida. Um, And, you know, although that was, you know, it's just a little short trip in the grand scheme of things, it still, I would imagine, changed the dynamic when you went back out to LA, or did it? Or did you just jump back in to, with? past contacts and you were it was as if you never left
2: no that's actually a good question i i it took it took, it took, it took a couple of years it took a couple of years and i and, and i don't know if that's more of me or like if that's indicative of, of, of the town or that's in you know just me I, I don't know i don't know which that is or if it's a combination of both but uh it did it, it took me a couple of years to kind of um figure stuff out. I was taking, I was taking all kinds of little jobs. Um, I was taking on, uh, line producing jobs. Um, I was taking on, um, helping like market and distribute, uh, small projects. Um, uh, I mean, I even drove Uber for a little bit. Like I was just like picking up whatever I could, um, just to try to figure out, um, when I left Florida, I, I was hired to, to write and produce a feature film in the Ukraine. And that was going to be, a I think a $1.5 million budget or something like that. And I worked on that but I was supposed to uh, direct and produce, uh, produce and direct that one. And that one, I worked on that one for six months and then I got fired from that project. And um, and so we went from being like, wow, we're doing really well to, man, holy cow, how am I going to pay the bills? And so that's why I, like, I started Ubering for a little bit and I was just trying to pick up any little job that I could. I actually had a really good friend Um, really great guy. He's a, he's a producer. He's found a lot of success, um, producing, um, um, music videos and commercials and, and, and corporate stuff and, uh, started his, started his production company and sweet guy. He, 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 uh, he actually, um, gives me credit oftentimes because I was the first one to give him a job. I, I was his first um, I hired him to um, to work for me on a project, and and so um, it was great because he considered me a mentor. And now um, I'm coming to him, and he's now hiring me on small projects that he can't he doesn't have time for. And so I was like, yes, the, the master, the Padawan is now the master. Um, but um, so that was a bit of a struggle actually coming back because I had everything all set up with that future film, and then. Um, um. By the way, I'm grateful that I got fired from that project. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a difficult thing.
1: Yeah, I. Just, I, I, just I remember getting the, uh, 60 second debrief, which I probably yeah. got only like point five percent of the details, but I got the 60 second debrief from Keenan when he was out here, uh, doing the um, uh, third set job um what like a year and a half ago at this point um mm-hmm. but yeah he gave me gave me the the thirty six second rundown and just in that 30 to 60 seconds i was like well all right And yep. I, I asked him i was like so it sounded like it was good that you guys are not on the project anymore and he and i mean without me even finishing the sentence he was like yes yeah oh it, it, it no problems there i'm like okay
0: so no yeah no i
2: i, I honestly felt like it was a it was a spiritual thing. I felt like God protected us from some really bad, evil stuff. Um, the the uh, Yeah, you probably, I was probably going to bring you on to that project, Kevin.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, there was a time where you said, would you be willing to go to Ukraine? I was like, <laughs> would I be willing? Yes. Don't have kids yeah. at this, but at that, at that time, no kids. Yeah, yeah. Sure. We're not, you know, still trying to figure yeah. out, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out where my career's going but you know at that even yeah. more so back then so but yeah it would have been interesting
2: well it was crazy back then too because we and we should talk about that just briefly about kind of what we had there because that was a <laughs> that was an that was an interesting time that was a part of really my really enjoyed um kind of what i was talking about earlier and actually segues into what i do now too with act one in terms of mentoring and training people um but um anyway so back to your back to your question um, it did. It took me some time, even though I had lived here in L.A. prior to moving to Florida. You know, I lived here for 15, 18 years, and was firmly, you know, in the community here and had tons of had tons of friends. You know, um, lots of community. But when you kind of move your whole family across country for 18, 20 months and then go back, um, it took some readjusting for sure. But um, eventually found our legs, and that was around that time when I was actually hired to. Um, to start overseeing the Act one program, um and um, and i I just loved it. It's just it's it's uh it's fulfilling, like I was saying one of those earlier one of my key passions, which is just um, serving other people by helping them find their how they're uniquely gifted and crafted, um, and developing them as artists and as storytellers and as people and um and that's what we do at act one and um so it was around took me about two years to find my footing and that was right around the time when i was offered the job to start heading up act one
1: yeah once i heard that that's where you kind of ended up i i knew i knew you were in a good spot um because i mean i witnessed it firsthand at, at um at the production company um you know down down here in florida um but yeah I mean we can definitely circle over a little bit to um to our time at the production company uh, I know Josh is probably eager to hear about the SD card uh, incident um and any <laughs> any other any other fun tidbits that he can attempt to use against me um, you know no
2: it was it was great because we um I mean, there, there were some clear problems, you know. I don't want to get into any other problems. Well, clear, I'll, but I'll,
1: I'll, obvious- I'll pause you just yeah. for a second and, and a, f- a few episodes back. Um, Josh, do you remember episode five, I think? Six? Sure. Uh, yeah, something to that effect. Josh and I gave a um, pretty extensive episode on both of our backgrounds. Um, and I—, I you know, was without saying names, I was very open as to how it all played out and how, you know, uh, two weeks or sorry, one week before my, no, two weeks, two weeks before my wedding, I put in my, <laughs> my notice to leave, um, which yeah, is and our,
0: our password eerily similar. Yeah.
1: It was actually kind of funny. Once we kind of dived into those details, we started, we both kind of knew how we got to where we were, but we realized that we both. Oh. I had very eerily similar um situations. But the you know, I did leave two weeks before um my wedding, which Which
2: which you which you've, if you remember, remember we had talked about it. Yes. I actually encourage you
1: to do it. I one hundred percent in that episode, I one hundred percent give you credit and to this day anytime I tell any friends or uh peers or colleagues or anything like that, my you know, my story how I just like left um and, you know, I kinda use it as a you have to you have to follow the um you know, your path and it, and you have to do what's best for you and your family is kind of the saying that I live by. Um, but a lot well, of that, a lot of that comes back to, to you. I mean, we were, we were on, um, um, what was it? Uh, um, the island over there next to um, um, Anna Marie. Anna Marie Island. And you and I were walking um from location 1 to we were doing a location scout for a job that was coming up like 2 days later for us and we were do and we were walking down the block there doing location scouts on the uh, on the island at the different um houses and beach lines and everything like that and you and I had a pretty extensive heart to heart about where the company was going and how things had taken a, a left turn um and i think maybe like 2 days later i walked into your office and i was like i'm i'm putting in my notice um yeah So um, you know, which 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 I that was one of the things that I really liked working with you is that
2: one of the things that really impressed me about you, and I think I even said this a little bit to you in your text, was you've always kind of had. In our time together, one of the things that really impressed me about you was you, you had you're you're you have an artist soul, but you also have this real entrepreneurial gifting, and I used to if you were, you probably remember this, but you would come into my office all the time and you would say, why are we not doing this? Why are we not doing this? Like you'd be like, I can go get us a meeting and we can pitch. We can pitch for this project. Why can't we go pitch for this project? We can go make some money if, if we go pitch for this project. And, and my, my hands were tied. And I, the whole time I was thinking, gosh, Kevin is right. like, we should be doing that. We would have gotten every single one of those jobs because we had such a great team and we were built for so much success with everything that we had going for us. And not only creatively, but, 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 but systematically and just everything. Um, but my hands were tied because I was given a mandate by someone who didn't understand the business. And that mandate was the exact opposite of developing that production company. And, it just became a very toxic environment. And, um, I was very fortunate. You and I were both very fortunate to get out when we did. Um, there's, I, 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 literally think there is only one person left. from the time that we were there, I mean, it's, 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 they have really cleaned house from, from the time there. So it was just, it was a very toxic thing. Um, and, um, uh, I was supposed to be producing feature films there. Like I said, the plan was for me to be there for three to five years. And, um, and I was there after the first year. Um, all that was shut down and all my funding was pulled. And we were left filming things that uh, a lot of us were like, what are we doing? And so, um, that was a difficult time, but you, And the team were great. Like to me, like I, there there are some key things for that time. Uh, I look on it. I look back on it, and I think, you know, as as a Christian, I think I asked, you know, why would God place me in that? And and for me, it was all the relationships. It was having finding a relationship with you. Was finding a relationship with um, Keenan, who's a mutual friend of ours. uh, Keenan O'Reilly, who's a young, very talented uh, writer-director, who who followed me out here. He lives out here now. He's Working hard, doing amazing stuff, very proud of him. Uh, you know, Eric and John and um and, um, uh, and oh man, you're gonna have to edit this part out. What was her name? Who's the who's the you, not Alyssa?
1: Oh not yeah, Alyssa. I no. thought you were I thought you were no, gonna no. forget Alyssa. No, no, no,
2: I know Alyssa. No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, what's the other girl? Uh Lauren?
2: Lauren, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Edit that part yeah. out, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and then it was like Alyssa um, and and then Lauren. And I remember Lauren especially, um, like, I remember her growing by leaps and bounds, like, because she was put in our department, if you remember. And she's like, what do I, and her husband, Mark, did she really know? And just in that brief time, I was like, well, look, you're going to sit with me, and I'm going to talk you through what you need to know. And um and that was just fun. I remember sitting with you guys as a team and we would just talk and you guys would just ask me questions and we would just go, Okay, well let's just figure it out together. Let's just go out, let's just shoot this stuff. And it'd be like you'd come to me, you'd say, I think I want to try this, and you're like, Okay, well let's try it. Can you come to me and say, I think I wanna try it? Great, okay, let's try it. And um and I and I think that's I think whenever you're that's the best memory I have for that was our team. I think our team worked really well together. And we, and I think we had open collaboration, which is really important, but you also, but everyone had roles. And and, and one thing I think when you're building a team is open collaboration is vital, but you've also got to give people things to do that they actually know that they can do. Because if, if you don't have that, then what happens is then you have people just kind of wandering aimlessly and creatives need direction. Creatives must have structure and direction. It's just when creatives don't have structure and direction, they are not creative. Um, I love the way uh, Jocko Willick says discipline equals freedom. And so a creative has to have boundaries. And so you, even if that just means, hey, you're responsible for X, you can do Y and Z. We'll figure out to give you the opportunity to do Y and Z. But hey, man, in the end, X is your job, execute on X, right? And and I don't know how you felt about that, but I certainly felt like in that year, year and a half, we all worked together. It felt like we were – that that was working at that level.
0: Yeah,
1: I completely agree with that. I mean, you you made it abundantly clear what our responsibilities were, and then we would help each other on some of those um, – Extra elements that suddenly would pop up. Um, because you know, we we were only a team of uh what three, four, five, six, seven, eight of us, if I'm doing my math right. Yeah Lauren, Mark, yeah. you, me, John, yeah. Eric, and Keenan. Um, seven. Yeah. So seven of us. Um, you know, we brought in a, a handful of freelancers um on certain jobs, but otherwise it was the team of seven of us, um, and several yep. Several jobs we didn't hire anyone, um, but there was a few that we would, you know, have a budget for, you know, two to five people depending on what the jobs were, and we all had our roles to get us to production day, and then obviously production day, um, you know, you have, your position is your position, um, and then we would do the same thing for post. We, you know, we all would have our main responsibilities, but then help each other out. Um, so, and and there, those are the kind of things that, as a filmmaker, you're right, is critical.
2: Yeah, I mean, there, you, you have to you have to have that. And, um, but you were great. You were great because, yeah, I think originally we had hired you to as a as a uh, camera op, as a shooter, and uh, and uh, uh, and, with the, and, to, and to help us with the gear because you were coming over from uh, what you recall, that big place? Was IMG place Academy. You worked at? Yeah, IMG Academy, and you were coming over to us. And the plan was to have you help us with all that stuff. And then things shifted when <laughs> when the guy.
1: <laughs> like, that was one uh, hell of a but, left-hand yeah. turn,
2: <laughs> and so it was great because you were already there, and and it was great because because uh, then we ended up bringing in Eric after that, right? Yeah, He's in he's in Atlanta now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he called me and the, before he moved. He asked for my advice about going down there, and, yeah, and I'm very happy for him. He's Go doing
1: he's doing very well. Yep. So, um, I'm gonna end on one last thing. Yep. Um, you know, I I. Not only obviously with this podcast, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. And one thing that drives me nuts is when a story is not completed in the podcast. Um, so, <laughs> oh no, what did I do? No, uh, I mean we've all we're all guilty of it right now. What's what's the? I know what it, it is. I'm 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 you know giving you a nice little soft toss here. What's one of the funnier stories you have of me from the time at um at the production company? Hint, hint, oh my gosh, hand hint, hint SD card. I thought, no, you haven't. You I haven't, thought it was
0: going to be like the MacGuffin, like, and we were just never going to get to no, it. No,
1: no, it's actually really entertaining. Um,
2: well, I don't remember as well as maybe even you have, but I do remember there was a shoot we did uh, that was on location, and um, well, actually, no, I'll back up just real quickly. Um, so we were a small production company that that was very mobile we shot we shot a location a lot and so um Kevin and Kevin and I <laughs> um and Keenan I think the three of us had devised a um a plan right wasn't it the three of us where we said here's going to be our workflow yeah because we we, we, didn't, yeah. we never had
1: dit it was it was all of us and we had to like co-handle DIT. So yes, we had a workflow in place to make sure that footage was never lost.
2: Right. So we sat down so we sat down and we said, okay, look, we're gonna create a workflow and we're gonna make sure that the equipment there's always a place for it to go. We invested money financially into into having stuff <laughs> making sure that there was some place for things to always go. Here's the process when 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 we're done shooting, here's what's supposed to happen, that this part is supposed to be ejected down here. So we had actually spent time on this. <laughs> that, was the, that was the part. We had actually spent time on going through, here's, here's the procedure of how we're going to have our workflow go from by the time we finish shooting with however many cameras we were on, sometimes it was three cameras, uh, to then to the edit bay uh, when we're on location. And so after spending money and going through this whole thing, we go out on a different and we come back, and we're done. And I'm sitting in my office. I've moved on to something else. Yeah, this, am I remembering it correctly?
1: You are. I'll fill in a few gaps. It was me, Keenan, and Eric that went out. We we were on day <laughs> like, it was something outrageous. Like we, it was day five of eight straight days of shooting and it was like three different projects we were doing over those eight days it was day like five or day six we were exhausted It's you know hmm. likely I,
0: excuse yeah
1: well i mean I'm, I'm you know filling in blanks and then yes you're in your office it's whatever seven o'clock at night and then yes
2: yes 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 it's the evening and and uh i don't know if you I think it's Keenan. Is it you? But someone walks into my office and says we have a problem. Oh, I, say, I, I, sent Kenan.
1: I sent Keenan. I sent Keenan. I was, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh, no sugarcoating there. I said, Keenan, you need to go tell Jimmy. He sent the
2: kid. Keenan was a kid, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Kenan was like 20, the... 20, he was like 19, 20 years old. So he sent the kid. And, he, uh, and, and yeah, we have a problem. I mean, well, you, we have a, you have
1: a soft spot for Keenan for obvious reasons. So I was just like, oh, yeah. I'm yeah. like, look, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going, Jimmy's gonna be <laughs> mad. Jimmy's gonna be very mad. Regardless, we're gonna get uh, Jimmy's yelling, but Jimmy won't yell as much to Keenan. <laughs> yeah, that's so
2: true. Um, so yeah, he walked into my office and said, "We have a problem." And I said, "What?" And he said, "We can't find." Um I think it was one of the SD cards.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, I said, what do you
1: mean? You can't
2: find it. Oh, yeah, it was a not He said, we can't, we don't have it. And I said, what do you mean you don't have it? And um, so, yeah, I was mad. (laughs) I was very mad because that was like six, eight hours of, you know, however much that could fit on that card is what you guys had. And and, uh, it was all gone. And no one knew. And I, I went back in the back and everybody was looking like a bunch of uh you know, the everyone's faces were white, everyone had those that look in their eyes, like I, I don't know what happened. A- everything's what flipped
1: up everything's flipped up upside down, we've moved the rugs. Oh, yeah. oh, Three yeah. of us are on like opened, on our hands and knees looking looks like bed. a
0: tornado came through. Yeah.
2: We I, opened up the cages. The cages were open, everyone was going through it and um and I, I, I think I handled it well, didn't I? I don't think I used any choice words. I think I I think I think just made it clear. Oh, abundant. that, um, <laughs> abundantly clear. I just think I made it clear that uh, this was the very thing we said could not happen. But, you know, that just goes to show that people are human and they make mistakes. And, and then and then, um, was it literally just laying on the ground? Who found it?
1: Uh, I think. I think... Well, we know it wasn't Kevin. No, it was not me. I think Eric found it, because we were all looking around Keenan's desk, because that's where it was, quote-unquote, last seen. And after we tore everything up, and we're putting it back together, you've laid into us, um...
0: He just got lucky. No one stepped on it.
1: And... Because was it an SD card? It was an SD card sitting on the rug. That... <sighs> and Eric... I, I, I vaguely remember... It was either Eric or, or um... Um... No, uh, or Mark. I, I mean, one of the two. And well, I'll
2: describe the room, Kevin. Describe the room, too. it was oh. a unique office.
1: Setup. Yeah, it was two two large offices that the middle wall had been torn down um, and had like a little baby divider. My side of the office had uh, four desks, and then um, the other side had two plus half the room was caged off. There was actually a built-in cage um, with all the gear. Um so very open room our thinking was like if it fell and got kicked it could literally be anywhere it could be anywhere in the room so that's why we're like was it
0: carpet or was it like the uh, uh, the studio like it was like the studio so like it so it could have slid and it was
1: also like a semi-darker floor like maybe like a gray so we're like man really
0: close to the card yeah perfect storm
1: yeah we're thinking like if it dropped and bounced or got kicked like Jesus, where could it? I mean, like it, it could literally be anywhere in <laughs> it could this be room.
2: Anywhere, it could be anywhere. Well, but also, I was afraid. I was mad at Keenan because he was like, "No, I swear to you, we didn't leave it there." Because uh, I was like, "You left it on location, like it dropped on location." Uh, and I was so he was like, "No, no, I promise, I promise." Yeah, I, was, I remember that.
1: So an hour goes by. All this transpires. We're like, we're thinking, like, all right, well, we're. I think we're packing up. We're like, we're just. It's time to go home. Like. Whatever, and all of a sudden, Mark or Eric is like, they just like all of a sudden stand up and they're like, "Is this it?" (laughs) And it was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Oh, I just looked down and it was right there." We're like, "Well, in the midst of cleaning up, we the the running theory is in the in the midst of cleaning up, someone like kicked it again,
0: right? Or uh, or when you move something to look for it, yeah, it it popped out, right?
1: And like it was, it fell on a chair and we didn't see. Like, so the running theory is like in the process of cleaning up our tornado mess. Well,
0: you're just lucky in that process you didn't step on it
1: or. But yeah, I mean, easily. That's so easily an, an hour had gone by from that. I mean, we all could have been home eating dinner and we're just like.
0: Right. So it wasn't an hour in your favor towards the time of the day. <laughs> no,
1: I mean it's, we we should have been leaving at like seven o oh, five, man. seven yeah. seven o five, and we didn't walk out of there until like eight ten, eight fifteen, after getting reprimanded. <laughs> so now it,
2: now you should tell that. You, but you should, what you didn't tell is when that you
0: Kevin discovered, was discovered.
2: T- tell tell briefly. Tell briefly like. What was your, who, who discovered it was missing and how did you guys decide how to tell me? (laughs)
1: Oh, um, so all the cards, the, so the process we had was all the cards always go to the lead editor's desk for that project. And then the lead editor is going to put it on their, their drive and then put it on the the raid drive, which is our backup. So in this case, Keenan was the lead editor for this job. So all cards went to his desk while and then the responsibility is then for him to take care of it while all the other crew members unload the truck and trailer and gear and all that. So that way it's a divide and conquer. Well, when we brought everything in and we're, we're done unloading Keenan goes, all right, I just need the other card. We're like, <laughs> we're like, what do you mean you need the other card? All the cards were on your desk. He's like, what? We're like, yeah, like three cards plus the audio files, BTS for photos like all four (laughs) cards should be right or five cards should be right here and he's like I only have four so so it, so
0: all and and then panic sets in
1: so six of us because Jimmy's the seventh crew member the you know the 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 um, the boss man as I call him but all six of us crew like regular crew guys are all standing there going what like what do you mean like so we get the first thing we're like oh maybe we just didn't get out of the you know out of the camera go to the camera it's not there check the other cameras, check the card, the The card holder. We easily were frantically looking around for like 20 minutes before we got Jimmy involved. <laughs> Cause at this point, like we're defeated 20, 20 minutes, six people looking for one card for 20 minutes. I mean like how many places Ew. can you look, right?
0: Pathetic. <laughs>
1: so we, we found it, but it was, it was rough. It
0: was a very, very valuable rough... lesson learned.
1: Yeah. You have a process, stick to the process i don't know we sure. don't know still fortunately
0: you don't know how the process went wrong
1: yeah it could have you know we don't we really don't know like it could have just actually been on the desk and then just got bumped off the desk and then got you know shuffled around and kicked and moved and all that so but yeah that's that was a very very memorable story worth telling because it is funny still to this day and it's funny only because it was found <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I've had not. I'll, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with this. Uh, Kevin is a fantastic guy, and I
1: yes, really Josh. Yes, Josh. Listen to this.
2: <laughs> I really enjoyed working with you, and one of the things that um, I think that you're really good at is something that I think is incredibly vital. People, anybody listening to this, has to understand this if you're going to work in this business. I don't care if you're shooting corporate videos if you're shooting feature films what doesn't matter um it's all about execution at the end of the day are you going to show up and just get the work done like set attitudes aside set emotions aside like you've got to be a professional on set and get it done i look i'm i'm very fortunate i'm very blessed i've been able to do a lot of stuff and i can tell you right now i can walk onto any one set and within 15 minutes I i don't say this please hear me. I'm not saying this in like an arrogant haughty way. I'm just saying I can walk into a set, any set and within 15 minutes, I can tell you who's going to make it. Who's not going to make it in business just by the way they move on a set. And Kevin knows how to move on a set. He just gets stuff done. And I always like that about you. And I think that's why uh, you continue to be successful. I'm very proud of you. And I hope you
0: continue to do a lot of great stuff.
1: I appreciate that. This has officially become my favorite episode. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave this out in the edit <laughs> um, yeah. th-
0: this this uh, this ended like thirty minutes ago. I just haven't told you yet. <laughs> well, well, boss
1: man, thank you so much for your time. um gave a lot of good insight, especially in you yeah, know man, in, in terms awesome. in terms of distribution and pitches um l a life it's it's a tough it's a it's tough for everybody, but you know, just kind of power through and 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 listen. I mean, that's now the second time we've heard that advice in the last few episodes. Yeah. So um, thank you again. And we'll be, we'll be in touch shortly.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys. And if anyone is interested in learning more about uh, what I do at act one, it's just, if I can just share with you, it's just act one program.com, act one com. Of
1: course, not a problem. We'll awesome. Uh, Thanks brother. Thank you so much.
2: All right. God bless you
1: guys. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Kevin, it's the end of the podcast.
1: Josh, that means
0: that everybody needs to stop what they're doing, write us a review and subscribe for future episodes. Yeah, I mean, it would really help us out a lot. It helps us kind of get to the, you know, new and noteworthy section top of the charts, help us get new people, new interesting and lovely film people on this podcast.
1: Along with that, you can follow us on Instagram at fgi podcast. And you can also check out more episodes and more information, more bios and information for all of our speakers at FGIPodcast.com.
0: This podcast was also recorded live in front of a studio audience, and we flew everyone out on Delta Airlines. No, but um, it was recorded live at Two Stories Media Studios, and it's presented by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media.